Welcome to another episode of the Gay Archive Show, where we explore gay history one bar at a time. I'm your host, Art Smith, and our guest today is Don Granitstein, the owner of Parliament House in Orlando. So welcome to the show, Don. Thank you very much, Art. So I'm really excited to have you on the show because even in my own lifetime, um, Parliament House was an important part of my Florida experience, even before I moved to Florida. And um, I know you've been the owner of Parliament House for about 23 years now, I believe. Yeah, since 1999. So before we get into talking too much about your time with the Parliament House, let's talk a little bit about the history. A lot of people don't know where Parliament House came from or what it was like in the early days. Um, Parliament House opened up, the Orlando one was the very first Parliament House in what was supposed to be a nationwide chain of kind of Holiday Inn type resorts. Um, they had a slogan that was uh, built for the House of Lords, priced for the House of Commons. That was their original slogan. And they used the name Parliament House because it alluded to British royalty and they wanted that sense of elegance and, and importance to the chain. So the location in Orlando that everybody knows, which is 410 North Orange Blossom Trail, uh, that location opened in February of 1962. So we're talking roughly 60 years ago. That's right. It was 60 years ago that it was built and we knew but, that. But the facility was a mainstream facility. It was designed for families to come and vacation in Central Florida. This was pre-Disney. I can't stress that enough because Orlando, before Disney, was a bunch of orange groves and industry and whatever. It was not any kind of place that people typically went on vacation at that time. That's correct. It was very redneck as well. And um, in that particular property, um, it had a reputation for being kind of lavish for that area. I mean, with the swing pool and the amenities they had, it was, it was you know, the cat's meow, so to speak, in 1962 when it opened. Yeah, and a wonderful facility they laid out for all of us. And um, so it was a great place, but the, the nation, national chain never evolved. And about three years later, the company went bankrupt. In 1965, they went belly up, and it took them a, a minute or two to find new owners. But they did. And the new owners were a gay couple uh, from Orlando who were involved in the bar business. And um, Mike and Bill purchased the property hoping to make it into a luxurious gay getaway. They, they had the vision of making it a gay resort. The, the real truth of it is that they bought this large facility that was definitely made for luxury vacations and in the middle of redneck Orlando, I call it, and they had vision that was beyond belief. Yeah, and at that time, uh, from what I've read about the area, because Disney had drawn all the tourists away from that part of Orlando and over to the Kissimmee area, it was not doing well. It had it had kind of uh, lost a lot of traffic, and it had generated a lot of undesirables in the neighborhood, prostitutes and crime and things like that. Well, they were still there when we bought it, too. But the thing that really killed the original thing was that they built I-4 and pulled all the traffic off of 441, which was Orange Blossom Trail. So once everybody started using the highway, there was nobody there. And a perfect place for Mike and Bill to find. Now, when Mike, Mike and Bill moved in and took over the property, they definitely put a gay stamp on it. They made it what it eventually became when you purchased it and, and put more work into it. They made it a gay safe haven. That is correct. And 
I'll tell you some things that happened that made it even stand out more as a safe haven. Yeah. It's- now, my understanding, and you may know about this because of your coming in uh, in the 90s, but my understanding is that Mike and Bill, because of the um, the environment in Orlando and the conservative nature of a lot of the people who live there, they were trying to hide. They wanted Parliament House to be a secret password kind of place where nobody knew about it unless they were gay. And it didn't draw it didn't attempt to draw attention to itself. That is correct. There's no question about that. When we started looking at it, I mean, I went to a lot of different places such as Atlanta and Dallas because I knew people in the gay community. And it didn't matter who I asked in the straight community, never heard of it. But everybody in the gay community knew the Parliament House. And they they created something very, very important to the community. And probably because it was such a bad area, everybody stayed away. And it worked out well. But I'll tell you, when I when we, Susan and I were looking to buy the place, we pulled up the first thing that happened. You could drive through the courtyard in those days, just like into a Holiday Inn. And Susan and I drove up near the Bear Den and somebody came running out and said, do you know where you are? And we said, yeah, we're fine. They said, okay. And (laughs) it had gotten by then because Michael and Bill had both passed away, it had gotten a little seedy again. And well, maybe seedy is the wrong word. Okay. But very open. And we we followed by police cars with lights flashing into the windows and a lot of nudity and everything going on there that you can imagine. And But there was a lot of people coming and made it very interesting. And especially everybody we asked knew the Parliament House. And I, when I asked people, do you go there? They said, no, we used to. And why not? Well, it's run down now and it's got a different kind of reputation. And, but we realized that everybody knew it. And to us, that was the main thing. And just to give you a little background, we came from prior to that, we were partners with Debbie Reynolds in Las Vegas. And that's what really led us to the gay community. So when we came to Orlando, everybody, Susan was really the one who was talking to me saying, why can't we open something for the gay community? And I, I don't really know how to do that until somebody came to me with the Parliament House and asked if we'd be interested. So we basically fell into it. And I can tell you a little story while I was, we were checking the place out and trying to be there all the time to see what was going on. I, on my cell phone, I walk around in circles. So I was walking around by the marquee and truck drivers are going by and calling me all the wrong names and blowing their horns and everything else. And I went and told Susan, I said, this is crazy. I just got called faggot walking around on my phone. I'm going, like, we're from Canada. We don't understand things like this. And I was really stunned, to be honest with you. And that's when Susan came up with this great idea. I'm building a glass block wall, closing the whole place in. Let them be on that side, and my boys will be on this side. And it was uh, a great thing she did. She made the courtyard. Well, I have I have limited experience with the Parliament House prior to when you owned it. Um my first my first gay bar experience was in 1978 and um but in the late 80s i was living in atlanta and i was publishing a local gay nightlife magazine and i desperately wanted my boyfriend and i to take a vacation but that's difficult to do when you're like basically a one man show doing everything publishing magazine so i came up with this brilliant idea that we would take a 10 day trip across central florida and we would stay in accommodations in Daytona, Orlando, and uh, Clearwater that were gay-owned and operated. And we would spend a few nights in each place and explore the local community and let that evolve into a gay travel article. So this is in, I think, 1988 or 89. Uh, we stayed at the Buccaneer in um, Daytona, which was a little motel that was gay-owned. And then we stayed at Parliament House for a few days. And I will never forget, just like you're saying, I drove up to the hotel. At that time, I was driving a classic 1975 
Caprice Classic Convertible that was all white with sparkling wire wheel covers. I had the top down and we cruised into the parking lot. And before we could grab our bags to get out of the car, there were about eight or 10 people on the sidewalk kind of checking us out and deciding uh, what their plan was. And before we got the bags unpacked in the room, there were a handful of faces pressed up against the window looking in. Of course, um, they had they had placed us, I think probably by design, on the second floor directly overlooking the pool. So we were in a key location where I guess they wanted everybody to know we were there and watch our comings and goings. But it was definitely a much different place then. I've been there many times since then. I moved to uh, Tampa about the same time that you bought the Parliament House. So I've been nearby for quite a while and spent many, many fun nights and days and weekends uh, on that property. And I've seen you and Susan there many times. Great property. Yes, it really was. So once Mike and Mill had both passed on and it had gone into turmoil because it was now owned by straight relatives and they weren't really sure what to do. That's kind of when you came into the picture. And um, as you mentioned, you and Susan pulled up to the, to the place and got some cat calls and some feedback from the, the occupants of the rooms or the people who were frequenting the bars. But overall, having dealt with a property like Debbie Reynolds property in Las Vegas, what was your first impression when you looked at the condition of the parliament house? What a dump. It really was a dump. <laughs> the thing, and it was just, it was hard to believe that, I mean, I understand everything now, but at the time I'm going, why are all these people coming here? This place is not being looked after. Okay. And it was very seedy and I didn't, I didn't get it at first, to be honest with you. It was in bad shape. And, but it was busy. I have to give them that. There was people were coming. I think they were renting the rooms by the hour, maybe in those days. But, <laughs> or the but, nightly rates were cheap enough that they didn't care. Yes, that's exactly. Um, now, anybody who knows the Parliament House since the day that you purchased it uh, knows it for the signature things that you put into the property. Um, people that were not around and going to that facility uh, prior to 99, they don't know what it looked like then and how much different some of the even small changes that you made were. The glass block wall is a perfect example. Uh, that just changes the whole ambiance. It gives you kind of a shield against the slings and arrows of anybody driving down the road and, and catcalling and name calling. It just gives a sense of privacy. And that was a brilliant idea. Yes. And I give all the credit to Susan because it changed everything. We were having problems with the city trying to understand the occupancy. And when Susan built the courtyard, right, which she started building, and then they said, well, how are we going to know how many people are going to be here? And I said, exactly. <laughs> so that was the end of the occupancy problems. Yeah. And that was kind of a, a little bit of a, a prejudiced remark. Uh, a little bit biased against the the gay community because nobody asked that question about a Holiday Inn or any other hotel. Well, how are we going to know how many people are there? We can't see everybody. Right. So there, I believe it, there was lots of prejudice going on back in 99. I can tell you that. I'm quite sure there was. Um, now, you, you kind of touched on the courtyard as well. Uh, the original design for the Parliament House, the driveway came right off the street and right through the middle section between where the pool is and where the two-story building is. So there was there was no sense of privacy there. Um, if you walked out the hotel room, you basically had to look both ways before you crossed the street to the pool. Yeah. Uh, and the, it, it just changed the vibe of the place. But Susan came up with the idea. And as I recall hearing the story told, um, a bunch of the people who were regulars there kind of chipped in and said, hand us a shovel. We want to make this place pretty and helped you with a low budget to create a courtyard area that completely changed the inside of that property. Yeah, well, it, it was very interesting because 
I walk out into the courtyard. Well, I gave Susan from August 26th when we bought it to December 31st because it was going to be the biggest New Year's ever for 2000, right? So right. I told her she had to finish the courtyard for New Year's, and that was her orders. And I, I walked out, and I see her. She's in the, in the ground digging, putting plants in, and creating everything there. And I, I bet she's got like 10 people working with her. And I go... What did you do? You called the labor pool? She says, no. She's a, she's a bit of a smart ass with me. She's going, no, I'm fine. I said, no, no, but where do you get these people? She says, they're our customers. I said, they're in the dirt. <laughs> she said, that's right. They all want to be part of this and help. And the thing that I really realized and the thing, I mean, I evolved, okay, because, listen, we're Canadians. We're totally accepting of everybody. But I still, a lot of things I didn't understand. And one of the things that got me is when people started coming up to me, everywhere we went, like when we did Debbie Reynolds, people would say, it's beautiful what you did to it and everything else. At the Parliament House, people came up and said, thank you. And I went, what do you mean? In reality, I'm going, that's not the reaction I would get until I started realizing I'm the caretaker of the Parliament House for the gay community. It's not ours. It's theirs. And that's why they were thanking us. But it gave me goosebumps. Yeah. And those were different times. I um, I know back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the, um, the gay bars were really a community center for people. I mean, you had you had different groups organizing and having meetings there. You had uh, fundraisers being held in their in the bars, and uh, you had the entertainment life there. You had that's where you met your boyfriend, husband, Trick. Um, yeah. You know, so they were they were more than just a bar. It wasn't like it was in the mainstream community where you could meet people at a a bus station or a shopping mall or a grocery store. It was the place where the gay community kind of all came together. And the Parliament House was a phenomenal concept, um, particularly in the gay community. Now, before yeah. you came, I know you said you were uh, working with the Debbie, Debbie Reynolds Project in uh, Las Vegas. But Florida had a number of, quote, gay resorts scattered around over the years. Um did you see many other similar concepts in other states? Because I can't think of too many. None. I went all over the United States looking. Every bar, everybody would tell me, go to Backstreet in Atlanta or, or go to the Rose Room in uh, in Dallas. So we went to all these, Susan and I, with Darcel, if you know Darcel Stevens. Darcel Stevens. We all went out and we went looking at all these places and they're just bars and clubs, but nothing really. I think Parliament House was totally unique, totally special. And that's what we felt when we saw. And the response we got from everybody all over the country also was phenomenal because everybody knew the Parliament House. So it yeah. was great. And it, you know, I know quite a number of people um, living in Tampa who would make it a regular trip to go to Orlando. They would usually book a room at the Parliament House and they would be able to maybe go out to one or two of the other bars at some point, but their home base was Parliament House. They had the pool to hang out during the day and soak up some rays and have a cocktail with their friends. They had the show bar. They had the dance bar. They had the Western bar. They had all these different places. You could, as, and I think you used this at one point as a slogan that you can go car hopping without a, or bar hopping without a car. Right. And the one, the one thing we really wanted, like the other slogan we had was expect to be entertained because we said, you come to the parliament, if you don't have a good time, it's your fault, right? And that's what we really believed. So we, we turned the shows into not what drag shows were and not what drag shows are today, but what we turned it into was a Vegas type of show. Susan went out and hired a choreographer and four Disney male dancers to go with the girls and every girl had to be able to dance and do choreography and turn it into a show that people really wanted to see. Not, not just girls walking around like that. We saw at all the other places. And they were some phenomenal shows um, in the showroom. One of the things that I remember most st distinctly about being there 
is that um, we were sitting there one night, a group of, I think, three or four of us, and we had gotten a table that was right along at the end of the runway that came off the stage. Mm-hmm. And directly opposite me was this cute young guy with his aunt or mother or something uh, watching the show. And we started communicating. Of course, we met later on the dance floor, but the um, it was just so cool to be that close and have the, the drag queens come right up two feet in front of you, make eye contact, interact with the audience, put on, as you said, a Vegas-style show, which was a dying art at that time. I mean... That's correct. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. You mentioned um, your trip to Atlanta, and I'm sure while you were there at Backstreet, uh, I knew Backstreet very well. In fact, the owner of Backstreet, um, Vicky Vera, kind of inspired this whole project to start with a conversation I had with her three years ago. Um, but I'm sure you remember the shows up at um, Charlie Brown's Cabaret <laughs> upstairs in and Backstreet, yep. and they were similar in nature. They had choreography to them. They had flamboyance. They had talented performers. They weren't just somebody in a dress lip syncing to a common popular song. That's correct. And just walking around trying to collect tips is what drives us crazy. When right. we go to, yeah, but that's right. Backstreet was a cut above the other places, and they stayed open all day and all night on top of it. They had some grandfathered claws, I remember. Yeah, that was an interesting situation. I remember when that all evolved. Um, long story short, they owned another bar in, in Atlanta called Weekends. And Weekends is the bar, one of the bars where RuPaul got his start performing. Um, Weekends had a 24-hour license. When uh, the developer, Trammell Crow came in, he bought that property and several other properties over there and de- wanted to demolish them all. And had them condemned. Because he did that, there was a loophole in Georgia law that they had X number of days to move their 24-hour liquor license to another address because they were not portable. Once once you closed at that location, that license was gone. Well, they were fortunate enough that they already had another location. So week, uh, Backstreet became Weekends 2 at Backstreet okay, and became that's a-, a 24-hour club. So they went as you can appreciate the value of this, they went from a small, whatever, 900 square foot bar with a 24 hour license to a monstrous three story gigantic bar with a 24 hour liquor license. And that's what set Backstreet on fire. That was, you know, the next 15 years were just fabulous at Backstreet. Yeah, it was great when we went there. And we met Charlie Brown and everything else was terrific. But we, I mean, I truly believe the kind of effort that we put in, into the shows made the place attractive to everybody. And it was because, I mean, I was going to the shows. I'm, I'm some, I lived at the Parliament House. I, mean, I was there every day. And every Saturday night, I wanted to see the shows. And that I prided ourselves and the community members that I could see the show every weekend and not be bored, right? And I explained to the girls that lots of people come to more than one show over the weekend. Every show has to be different. So anybody who wanted to work at the Parliament House, you had to realize a way tougher job than anywhere else they wanted to work because they really had to be able to do everything. And they had to have seven different shows every weekend. So it was way different than anything else they did. If they traveled around, they could do the same song everywhere they went, grab the tips and go home. Parliament House, you had to entertain. And that was what we believed we should do. And going along with that entertainment, the aspect that a lot of people probably don't give much thought to is if you're required to do half a dozen fresh shows every week, you're also required to have half a dozen fresh outfits because you cannot do every show wearing the same one dress that you've you bought exactly, exactly, yeah. And it was so it was expensive for people to work at at Parliament House if they weren't generating the tips and and bringing the people in. That's right. So we ended up, we believe, with the best of the best because the people who wanted to come to the Parliament House and perform there knew what they had to do and knew how they had to up their game, and I think it made them better entertainers. You are probably right. Um, early. 
in this process of doing these interviews, one of the one of the first people I interviewed um, is one of, if not the top share impersonator in the country, uh, Chad Michaels. And in the course of his interview, unprovoked, he said to me, I knew I had arrived when I was booked to work at the Parliament House. That's a great compliment. And I agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> but over the years, you have had so many big name performers there. I mean, I know Cindy Lauper was there. Um, was the, there. You know, I, I wrote down a few so I remember, but I tell you, the biggest thing when we realized, because at the beginning we were only really doing drag shows and we'd bring in, you know, for special events, we'd bring in somebody like Kim English or somebody like that. When we had the interesting thing is the first person who really opened their eyes was RuPaul. When we brought RuPaul in, we had over 5,000 people come and it was insane there. And then we realized that they're lacking entertainment of what the gay community wants to see. And so we started bringing in people like, well, we brought Cindy Lauper, obviously she was big, but Leanne Rhymes and Macy Gray and Salt and Pepper. I mean, we had some phenomenal shows, Debbie Gibson, Debbie, it didn't matter. Anybody they wanted to see, we wanted to bring in, right? As long as it was affordable. But we found out, I mean, because we were always wanted not to charge too much money. Okay, right. to get, so they had to be in a certain price bracket, but it opened up a lot of, Deborah Cox was there all the time, RuPaul three times, and, and Amber, and it just, it went on and on, but every event, and then RuPaul's Drag Race started, and then all of a sudden we had a new cache of uh, all kinds of people that we could bring in, and uh, that was also giant draws, there was just, craziness. I mean, we brought it on New Year's Eve, we, we called the, the winner's circle and brought in all the winners of RuPaul's Drag Race. And it's just on and on. They they opened it up for us besides bringing in all the all the concerts. And it, it changed again. It evolved with that. But it was good for us. I'll tell well, you, it was... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, um, I recently interviewed Frank Garcia. I know you know him as well. And um, he was saying that in a lot of ways, for especially for Central Florida, um, Parliament House was almost like a training ground for future RuPaul drag queens because of the, the rigors that you put them through of doing everything right, of being choreographed, of being properly presenting yourself to the audience, of having a variety of shows out there that you kind of trained them. And a lot of the RuPaul drag queens uh, or the Parliament House drag queens eventually went on to be involved with RuPaul on some level. Yeah. And, and even more so pageants, which, which is a very big part of the community everybody who worked at parliament house went on to win all the major pageants you know it didn't matter whether it was miss continental we had them all of miss continentals and miss florida and miss everything else i mean tasha long probably won every every <laughs> that ever existed and you know they we we had some great great girls and, and then giselle who was with us recently you know was became miss world or something they all are they all went on to win everything and it, I believe it because what they had to do at Parliament House really trained them for that. And Yeah, and I've always thought, you know, even before I moved to Florida, I always kind of thought of the Parliament House as being the crown jewel of the Orlando bar scene, even though there were times that it might have been a little bit dingy or, you know, not quite as immaculate as the Taj Mahal. It was always a welcoming place, always an entertaining place, always a fun place to go. And um, as I said, I've been there many times, particularly when there was a big weekend going on. I know you're a big fan uh, from reading some other interviews that you've done of um, the White Party Weekend and Pride Weekend and all these events that made it so much fun at Parliament House. I mean, it was the place to go. That is correct. It really was. I mean, we made every every party. I mean, we had management meetings every week, okay, with 
with Darcel Stevens and all our other people and Drew Sizemore who does our graphics and all these different people. But every week my office was full. Every Tuesday afternoon was plan, plan, plan. And all we would do is plan parties and how can we make them better? And we get down to the logistics of them, but to actually plan ahead, we were always six months ahead with our parties and who we're bringing in and how we're going to do this. And but then we had a couple of really talented people who would do all the decorations because it wasn't just good enough to say it's the white party. If it's the white party, turn the place white, okay, and build everything in white. And Mardi Gras, we had to have floats. It didn't matter what it was, but we were going to give the community real parties that they could be proud of. And that's that's what we tried to do. Well, you had an advantage that a lot of other bars uh, don't have. There's been a few examples throughout the state of Florida, uh, Suncoast Resort in St. Pete, the Flamingo, which were both smaller than uh, Parliament House by far. Uh, but you have a large chunk of property. It was on the lake. So you had a lakefront setting there. You had grassy areas. You had the courtyard area, which you reclaimed from a driveway. And you were able to do things like I remember being there one time and going to this massive foam party thing that was outside uh, because Florida's weather is so fabulous anyway. You could do that about, I don't know, 11 and a half months out of the year. Um, but you didn't have to compromise and say, well, we're not going to have a dance floor this week because we're doing a foam party. You had the foam party in the parking lot and, you know, there it is. Um, and you certainly had enough open space that, as you said, you could have thousands of people there which no other bar could do because inside the walls, the fire marshal would come in there and, and shut the entire place down. But it was Jerry, like being, being out in a big park with a bunch yes. of gay people. We were, we were the other magical kingdom, right? You know were. It was like a, um, a gay Disneyland or Disney world. But, yes. um, and I remember I went there several years back. Well, quite a few years back. It was probably the early 2000s. So shortly after you had purchased it. And a friend of mine from Texas was uh, visiting Orlando for a family wedding. And so we went and stayed with him um, at a hotel downtown. And he and his boyfriend and his father and mother and my boyfriend and I all got together and drove to Parliament House for entertainment that night. And his father, uh, accomplished businessman and lawyer from Texas, had an absolute blast. He thought he was in heaven. It was just the greatest time. And he'd never been somewhere like that before. And um, those are the kind of things that make you feel kind of special about Parliament House, because it had things that that anybody could appreciate. Yeah. And I mean, we appreciated the fact that we had that. And then we started buying up the properties around us so that everybody could park. I mean, free parking became a big thing for us as well because we wanted to have parties where everybody could come and, and have thousands of people at a party. And you're exactly right. Nobody had that type of benefit that they could do that. And it was wonderful for us. Yeah, we, not only free, but also safe because it was immediately adjacent to the property. So you weren't walking three blocks hoping you weren't going to get mugged. You were right there. And, and we had security everywhere. We did. We had, we had 12 security guards on. We'd have off-duty police because one thing, Orange Blossom Trail, probably the seediest part of uh, Orlando, especially at the beginning. And we wanted the community to feel safe. Safe was our major word. And then entertainment. Yeah. And on the big weekends, I can remember seeing tour buses come up with 50 or 60 guys per bus being dropped off at the parliament house. And then they'd come back like every hour or two to shuttle them back somewhere else. So. But we rented camping world stadium parking <laughs> <laughs> in order to get to bust them. So they could have parking down there because we parked a thousand cars on our properties and still on our big parties, we needed more. So we'd rent camping world. It was uh, quite the times. Now, for people who had never been there, the figure that I've seen uh, for Parliament House is that the entertainment complex was about 10,000 square feet. Does That's that sound correct. about right? Exactly right. And the and property 
most reports that I've seen say that you had 120 rooms, although a couple say 130, but whatever. It was 120 with eight being used for the bear den and for some stores. So rentable was 112. Okay. And it was a, you kind of touched on this too. On the ground floor around the courtyard, there were a number of kind of local small businesses that cater to the gay community. So you could go in there and buy a pair of, you know, sexy underwear or a skimpy bathing suit or, you know, a, maybe a sex toy or some lube or, you know, a, a funky shirt to wear out to the disco. Um, and that was something that also was a big plus because virtually you could spend your whole vacation staying at the Parliament House and eating at the restaurant and never leaving for a week or however long you were in town. Yeah, well, we had a lot of people said they no longer rented cars. They came, they took an Uber, they came to Parliament House. That was their vacation. And then back to the... <laughs> it's a lot it's... less stressful when you don't have to go anywhere, don't have to worry about DUIs or parking or anything. Yeah. And we had people who were there forever, which made people comfortable. Like Miss Vicky, who was our pool bar bartender, was started with Michael and Bill. And she'd been there for 40 odd years and couldn't get around too well anymore. And everybody had to come see her at the bar, but she was everybody's mother, which was another big, great thing that we had, the longevity of, of her being there. Which also goes that your, your concern when you first bought the bar and um, P said, oh, I'm retiring. And I think that was kind of, you know, you were like, oh no, we just invested all this money and the staple you know, focal person of the of the entertainment scene here is leaving us. What are we going to do? But that turned out not to be an issue because you had so many people right behind her to pick up the slack. But when we bought it, Sam Hodge, Michael's brother, told me one thing. As long as you got Miss P, you're all set. Then she retires. <laughs> and we put her in the back. But we did have, and interesting enough, Darcel who I was one of the girls that are performing. And I asked her if she could be the MC because P was quitting. And she said, absolutely not. I, that's nothing that I'd want to ever be. I want to, I want to be part of the show. And I said, do it for a while till we replace. We're going to go see some other people like Carmela and, and, and check out the scene all around and see who we'd like to replace Miss P not an easy replacement. Well, we gave Darcel the mic and she wouldn't give it back. So she stayed <laughs> forever as our state and she's wonderful. Yeah, so Darcel was, um, you couldn't distinguish Darcel in Parliament House sometimes. She was like yeah. the face of the, of, the, of the property. Right, definitely. So things evolved in later years. And um, a few years into the project, you decided to open a, a timeshare concept that never really went off as great as you might've hoped it would. Um, no, no. If you don't mind, I'd like, I want to clarify your statement. Okay. Oh, please I, do. Because I, I have timeshares partners with Weston hotels. And then I opened timeshare at Debbie Reynolds. When I built the timeshares, number one, Susan wanted to make something that the community was going to, be amazed with. We wanted to build one of the nicest timeshare buildings anybody had ever seen and plans where to build five more buildings. And it was accepted by the community beyond our expectations. And you can say then what happened, right? So I'm saying beyond belief, but we were supposed to open in May and in April, our backer and lender, okay, which was USA Capital went bankrupt. And we had everybody's money in escrow. We had no idea what we were doing. I had to phone city commissioners and beg them to give us um, a, a CO on the building so that we could open it. But that's really what happened. And they had allocated all the money for us, except now it was being held by trustees. And they disappeared, this billion-dollar company that we thought was backing the timeshare portion of everything. And once that happened... All we had was lots of expenses because I had to keep the people who had bought, I had to keep them safe. So I had 24-hour security for 18 units instead of for 164 units. And 
that was really one of the major problems that happened to us because that was that drained about two hundred thousand dollars a year keeping that afloat because the people had bought i didn't want to disappoint them now i know later down the road just what less than two years ago or right about two years ago um the your partners in the in the business there who i understood were only supposed to be silent partners that that held some funding in it decided to go different route and develop the property which um i think it's almost two years now that it's been it, they started knocking it down be two yep. years in january i think yep um but you never gave up the ghost to the very last day you said you know we're doing everything we can if we can save it here we will if we can't we're going to come back we're going to rise again like the phoenix and we're going to you know provide a venue for the orlando community i know from what i've seen on social media and what i've heard from other people that you've been working on that for some time now yep I What's guess. the story between behind that project? That's a downtown project, right? Is it? I I honestly felt that it was, you know, again, I'm talking to myself, but I thought it was time, and acceptance wise, that it was time for a gay a gay nightclub, whatever you want to call it, be downtown. Okay, I said there's no gay presence downtown. There's lots of bars, lots of clubs, and. I don't think it was ever really going to be an acceptable proposition. I said, today, I'm going to look for a main spot downtown, and we're going to do it. And the big problem is, again, I would call a miscalculation. We, we got the corner of Pine and Orange, which is the first building Dr. Phillips ever had. And it was the first movie theater in Central Florida was in that building. And then it became the City Arts Building. So it was a, an historic, famous building. So we went, perfect for the Parliament House. This is great. And it has a comedy club upstairs. We looked at theaters there, seating 250 people. So we said, this is like a dream, right? If we can't, and then we have plans to build a rooftop, which was going to be our new courtyard. So we started putting it all together with the same bars and everything else to find out Rebuilding an historic building, you got to be out of your mind. <laughs> okay. And that's us. We're out of our minds because no matter what we try to do, we'd say we'd hire the plumbing contractor and I'd say, okay, here's what we're doing and everything else. And come back. He said, I just went to the city. There's no plans for this building. You know, what do you mean? It was built in 1917. There's no plans. I said, what does that mean? Like, I'm not a construction guy, right? I'm, I'm an entertainment guy. I'm an accountant by trade. So I'm going, what are we talking about? He said, got to redraw all the plans, got to change all the fittings, got to change everything in this building and hook it up to code and to hook up into the city. So we got to go into the sidewalks. I'm going, what are we talking about? But it's been continuous like that. We're now at a point where all that's behind us. It's all done, Okay. And we're going back into construction because everything else has been done. So I figure we're probably a week away from all the construction crew coming back, probably right after Christmas. So it is going to happen. It'll open in early 2023. And Susan's already been out picking lights and sound and decorations and tiles and everything. She's running all over the city. So we're in, we're ready. And, the other thing I'll tell you as, as something that we're not going to be just in one location. Okay. You'll be the first to know that. Okay. We're working on a few other things that I think are going to be a big surprise for the community. And I think something great for the community as well. So we're working hard, although nothing's happening. Right? That's how I. <laughs> we're treading water as fast as we can. There we go. <laughs> That's a good phrase. That is, that is so often the case. But, you know, I just went through a similar experience. A gentleman I interviewed last week um, is the owner of the Atlanta Eagle. Uh, they had to close down because of COVID. They had some complications after COVID um, that ended up with them losing their lease to the space they were in since the 1980s. And um, a couple months ago, 
during Orla uh, Atlanta Pride, which is the same weekend as Orlando typically, right. uh, the beginning of October, they had the grand opening of their new location of the Eagle. And they did exactly the same thing as what you're saying. For two years, they were telling everybody, we are not gone. We are not going away. We are coming back, but it takes time. You have to find the right place. You have to do the remodeling. You have to, you know, make the adjustments you need, apply for the licenses, whatever you have to do. And I can tell you from personal experience, and I have a feeling it's going to be the same when you reopen next year, is I was there opening night for the Atlanta Eagles new location. They are in a strip mall in Atlanta that houses four other gay bars. So this is a very gay shopping plaza. And at, on opening night, they had a line from their front door past a retail shop, another gay bar, a gay restaurant, all the way to the street and down the sidewalk, three and four people wide, waiting to get in. And that line never subsided until well after midnight. Yeah, so well, we hope that happens to us and we believe it will. And we think they're going to love what we're doing. You know, it can't be the old Parliament House. It's going to be the new Parliament House. But right. I told everybody that we're leaving an old building, but we're all going. So it's going to be fine. We're all still going to be together. You know? And that's how I feel. I and don't want to be bringing the cast and management as much as you can back to the new place. Definitely back. And their cell would spoke to us. We speak to everybody and you know, a lot of our bartenders and everybody else they keep calling, when are we coming? You know, I don't want to out anybody because they work in other places now. <laughs> I understand. But they're coming. And the, the truth is we're, we're going to, the entertainment's going to be first class again. And the city's behind us. The city's saying they're going to build a small convention center downtown Orlando. They need entertainment. They're backing us totally. They're going to make sure everything's safe downtown. They're going to increase their presence and everything else. So I think it's great. And the other thing I do want to mention, and maybe it sounds like a plug, but a couple of people have really helped us. And one is Frank Fernandez from South State Bank, who's been a giant help to us. And also to Tim Garrido, Garrido and Company, who's doing the construction and who owns part, basically owns part of the building. And they've been fantastic helping us go on. They want to see Parliament House open again. I mean, when I first went to them, they are both, they knew the Parliament House. That was the great thing. And they said, of course, we need you downtown and we'll help you. So it's nice compared to what happened 20 years ago when you talked gay. It's a different story. We're going to take over downtown. That's all. Absolutely. And I, I was getting ready for this interview today. And um, I went and looked at my closet and I was like, I can't believe I don't have a Parliament House T-shirt. I would have been wearing a Parliament House T-shirt today. I'm a little uh, disappointed in you. <laughs> 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 but, um, yeah, we're all looking forward to it coming back. And <clears throat> we're all looking forward to you coming back. And, you know, I, I understand you wanting to thank the people that helped you, you know, making this possible, because it's important not only to you that you acknowledge them, but to the community, community at large, that they know who our allies are. And if these people are helping you build a gay Mecca again, Yes. They have some, you know, some involvement you, in the community. You've got it. And that's a, a great point, because if you think 20 years ago, I was with USA Capital because I couldn't get a bank to be interested at all in, in being involved in anything like the Parliament House. Today, South State hugs me. And how can we help? It's a wonderful advancement for the community through Parliament House. Well, since you're doling out thanks, I want to mention that when I interviewed Frank Garcia and he was talking about um, starting What's Happening magazine in Orlando around the same time, I think that you were coming into the scene. Um, he acknowledged the fact that you and Parliament House, as well as Barbara Poma and Pulse, were essential to him ever being able to create that magazine, that you were behind it completely. And he told the story that... Um, he was trying to decide on the name and you were in the meeting and he said, while I was, we were there talking about it, Don said, well, the magazine just needs to say what's happening in Orlando. And he said, I threw up my arms and said, 
fine. We'll call it what's happening in Orlando. <laughs> Sorry. That, that is great. Yeah. And now he has a new digital publication, all digital, which of course mm -hmm. is the way of the future. Yeah. Um, servicing the gay community again, and this time it's called Happening, but um, I'm sure you'll be a part of that once once when the I, Parliament House project is underway. Definitely, we will. And because we, we truly, truly believe that Parliament House is, even though it's going to be in a new location, it's still Parliament House. It's very important to the community to have a place like that. And we're, to have now the biggest club in downtown Orlando is going to be major for them. I hope they can brag about that because that's what we want to give them. And it's theirs again. And that's the truth. We're going to take the whole building over and have everything they want. Absolutely. Well, I wish you all the best with that. I'm looking forward to finding out when the grand opening actually is. Um, if you need a hint, my birthday is March 28th. So that would be a great weekend to have your grand opening. Uh, <laughs> Mine's April 28th, you see. All We're right then. I'm only a month older than you. Or you're a month older than I am. Yeah, I'm I a month think. older than you. That's right. So we look forward to seeing what happens with Parliament House. I can imagine the biggest difference is there's not going to be the rooms there, but the entertainment that we've known for decades uh, and people have gone to see the shows and dancing and having cocktails and whatever, that's all still going to be there. So the spirit of Parliament House will be in the building. That's right. And we, are, we have made a hookup with a great hotel that's a block and a half away that wants to be part of the Parliament House and make it the Parliament House place to stay. So that's going to be terrific as well. And Excellent. It, yes. And you better come to our opening. You're the 10,000 person that I've invited. So you're <laughs> You'll have to save me a seat. I will, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Don, for everything you've done for the Central Florida gay community and for uh, keeping Parliament House alive for the last 23 years. Thanks to the community. And I thank you for this. That concludes another episode of the Gay Archive Show. For more information about this episode, or to find more episodes, visit gaybarchives.com.